Podcast. This is John. This is Trav. This is Rich. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of finding strange people in your backyard, and they look just like you. What do you do? Shoot them or invite them into tea? I'm looking for Millard Fillmore, but he's gone again. I thought he was president for 16 years. This week we are talking about Bureau 13. And specifically, we're talking about interdimensional incursions into the Bureau 13 universe. Now, when we say incursion, we're not talking about the other game called Incursion, because that's a whole other game, science fiction. This is about interdimensional traveling into the world of Bureau 13 through various means, and we're going to talk about that. Now, we're not talking primarily about Fringeworthy because, yes, we know that that's all about interdimensionality, but there's lots and lots of other ways that people can slip from one universe to another. So, Trav, what's your favorite means of people coming from one universe to another? Usually, I would have them go through some type of accidental portal. That just always seems to be the thing... And the, I guess the term, the trope or convention I would use is some explosion, you know, whatever happens, rips a hole in the wall between dimensions and a person gets shunted through and ends up in another dimension. That's just the one that I always fall back on. I mean, I don't try to use it all the time or otherwise, you know, my players will be like, oh, yeah, another one of the. But that seems to be the one that I always fall back on throughout my gaming history. Okay. Now, when this happens, Trav. Be honest. Are your clothes blown off or not? I mean, they'll be da- Wow. Okay. Uh, they'll be damaged and they'll look like hell, but they're they're alive. I mean, I, I mean, I don't like sending corpses through. That's that. Now that's creepy. <laughs> okay. So, so basically, PG thirteen then, right? Well, yeah. I mean, they'll be damaged because they were near an explosion, but they're not dead. And you know, you know, th- yeah, that that. Remember, in one of my games, I got my 15-year-old nephew. I can't get too graphic. Okay. <laughs> Just wondering, you know, because it's it's happened in, 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 the, in the literature on a number of occasions. Oh, so yeah. mm-hmm. some kind of humongous disaster occurs with other, other strange energies and things like that, and it blows a hole through the space-time continuum, and you get sucked through, blown through, uh, fall through because it's below you, uh, something smacks into you, <laughs> something else blows up and the explosion throws you through the hole, right? Well, it's along the lines of like a one in a million thing. Like it could be like four or five different elements are together in the explosion. They just happen to have the right kick to them that rips the whole 
into a dimensional barrier. That That's just usually what I would fall back on. I did a lot in my early gaming days. I don't quite do it so much anymore. So, All right. And does the portal remain or is it just closed? And, you know, you just... It snaps shut as soon as they're through. It's a very momentary rip. Just done. Yeah. So this is a one-way thing, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, it gives the, it gives the character a reason to stay. I mean, obviously they're going to try to find a way back home through other means, but, you know, since it's a one-way trip, you know, they're kind of stuck in that whatever realm I put them in, so... Okay, so Richard, not including yes. the time bagel, what's your favorite way of, of moving people from one universe to another? And not including things, fringeworthy. And things from so far in the future that are still remotely human that come back just because they want to. But that's time travel. Like, we're, we're talking well, dimension travel. Well, not quite time travel either. It can be dimensions or whatever, things from other dimensions. Much like Mark Twain's The Mysterious Stranger, which was not published while he was alive, but it was absolutely phenomenal. Mm. Read it or see the movie sometime. Because we're not sure what dimension this the thing was that came through. Oh, so he wrote Cthulhu Mythos? Into the 1600s. <laughs> and, uh, nope, not, not quite, but it was... It was just amazing for Mark Twain, considering he did do time travel and that kind of thing. Okay. But, um, okay. but I still don't quite get it. How did they actually travel from one dimension to another? It wanted to. Well, much like Superman and uh, the, uh, the his mysterious stranger, that the really strange little guy. Mixoplil. Mixoplil or something. Mixoplik. Mixoplik, yeah. Mixoplik's. Okay, uh, right. Okay, so that brings us to you, John. Oh, I'm one of those fo- folks that, because uh, my favorite version is through some sort of dimensional conveyor of some sort. So this is, um, Paratime uses the dimensional conveyor. I ran a uh, five-year uh, play-by-post game uh, where, they, where they had a, a dimensional conveyor called the Gridney, where you would, you know, take you to other other alternate worlds that game also was notorious for having other ways of breaking breaching the dimensional barriers but yeah the gridney was the primary means of traveling between uh, d- different worlds you could also could use this up a, a conduit where you could basically have two gridneys sync to each other and then you have a basically a pipe you basically have a place you can just walk right through otherwise it's just traveling uh, between places um and how it look? Well, inside is like you're inside a big silver dome, because it snips off a piece of space time. On the outside, it's a silver bubble, and because it's snipped off space time, waiting for something to come back from the, from the other dimension to this dimension. So it's always a swap in that case. Ah, all right, <laughs> okay. If I can add, Stephen King did that twice with wonderful books uh, on a Buick Eight. Uh, was one of them where a, a vehicle came across, but it was a Buick, but it really wasn't, and it was a portal to other uh, another dimension. And then there was the other one, the um, the one with the let's see, the uh, the mist, which was marvelous. They had cracked open a, a hole to another dimension. The military was watching it, and something happened, and it exploded outward. 
And read the book. Don't watch the movie. Yeah, and theoretically, some versions of uh, wormholes can connect to other dimensions. And there's also some other. Uh, it's string theory allows you to create openings and holes to other dimensions as well. Not necessarily, uh, you know, not to other places in this universe, but to physical holes to other universes. So yeah, there's many ways of, you know, there's many ways to crack that egg in the, in this for, for, tra- for time trap for, for dimensional traveling. Well, my favorite method of dimensional traveling <laughs> is what uh, is psionic mm. dimensional traveling, where you gain this power to do it. Uh, and uh, much like psionic, um, teleportation and psionic time travel, um, I will, I like if you have the ability to choose whether or not it's you that goes through or something else. And I use this in the uh, uh, out, uh, Outpost game supplement uh, in the story Work for Good for the main character, Bill Bailey, who decided to go on a, um urban uh, renewal project where all the bad people in his neighborhood, he just basically threw someplace else. Hmm. Which okay. brought the bureau into it because they had so they, they felt they had to put a stop to that. Unlike a small little boy who made who made his entire town go away someplace. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the sequel with his daughter. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, now nobody's mentioned uh, magic portals. Magic portals is a tried and true methodology of of going from one dimension, one reality to another, and it's been used through literally thousands of books. Yeah, D and D planar travel. Well, yeah, yeah, gate the gate spell. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so there, there's that, and it's either is is done through old ancient magics or even a. Um, Convergence of ley lines, sometimes that crazy. But uh, and let's not forget about the uh, toadstools, the ring of toadstools that uh, allows you to go different places if you're there at just the right time, or say just the right things, or think just the right thing. <laughs> yep, or straight into the land of Fey, which is also in our dimension. But that the, should be a topic for some. All right. Uh, John, would you take a minute and talk about what uh, exotic energy or dark matter, uh, how that yeah, could be yeah, used? Yeah, you're right. They're, they're the, what you would use to prop open wormholes to other other places. Um, you know, it's it's one you know one method of, of of creating a gate to another to another universe. I mean, basically, whenever you you know read a science fiction story and you basically uh, the ships go into hyperspace or in case of FTL phase space they're opening up a wormhole to another universe and the only way you can really do that is with some form of exotic matter to pry open the wormhole and slip on through into this other universe uh, so it's it's a definitely and that's also a tried and true method I mean this, that's more of the double talk answer to how, how it works but it's pretty much uh, one way of using it. Um, exotic matter isn't as exotic as people might, might think. It is, it is more exotic than normal matter, I, I guess. Uh, dark matter, I'm not quite sure how you use dark matter, though, because dark matter doesn't want to do anything with anybody. You know, it doesn't want to do anything with itself either. Uh, <laughs> um, but like I say, exotic matter, yeah, you use that to, to pry open wormholes. Um, I actually, who was it? it was, um, 
yes, Stein. Uh, I remember ta- talking to him about this. And G. He Harry? Said, yeah, G. Harry. Yeah, I, I, I met him at a couple of conventions at, Nor- at NorwestCon. And I talked to him about that. And he said, yeah, it's, it, you know, if you, you know, you dig around the quantum foam looking for a wormhole to prop open and you, and you only find one mouth, then you got two choices that with that one mouth wormhole is that it's either going to someplace else in this universe or it's going someplace else. And the only way to find out is prop it open and take a look inside. <laughs> and like I said, you use exotic matter to like wedge it open and, and, uh, and, and open and open it up. Um, but that's one way you can use exotic matter. Uh, or exotic, exotic energy to, to get in there. Now, of course, there's also I think we talk exotic energy. Then you're also you, we, we slip into the um, um, comic book world where they have all sorts of strange energies that crack open you know doorways and pathways to other places. But I consider those just a variation of magic doors to other places. Or you mean like the uh, neutral zone with the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just uh, and the Bifrost uh, Bridge and the Phantom Zone and the Phantom Zone. Ah, yes. <laughs> oh yeah, all these wonderful ways of you know, of doing things. But yeah, that's pretty much like I said. That's how I would see using exotic matter or exotic energy. Uh, dark, like I said, like I said, Bruce, dark matter. It doesn't want to do anything with anybody. Well, we uh, don't know anything about it other than the fact it has mass. Yeah, it, and it doesn't mass- seem to react to anything because we can't see it. And it, it, it seems it, it does clump together, but doesn't, for some reason, clump enough to actually form black holes itself. A dark matter black hole would be interesting, I think. It seems but, an awfully convenient matter. Yeah, it's awfully convenient, which, which probably means, as, someone, as one person who doesn't care for dark matter says, it just means we don't know something about the universe and we're making up stuff to uh, make it work. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So let's uh, let's uh, move away from you know what kind of a of a thing makes up the uh, the uh, portal or the rip or whatever like that, and let's talk about what happens when these things happen. You know, when these when these portals open or whatever. What's what is what we find happening around that area? Mm. Trap. Well. There could be, and I remember seeing this in a, uh, well, the company's gone now, but it was an Australian role-playing company called Pisces All Media. And the guy who made this, Jonathan Nolan, he made something called a shadow cabinet. And if you read it, it's basically a D20 version of a TARDIS. And one of the things that he had was that when the dimensional incursion happens due to that rupture storms, strange lights, strange sounds, wind, you know, kind of like when the sliders portal would bust open and, you know, you'd see the, you'd hear the crack of thunder and the light as they go flying out, you know, just weird visual and auditory effects and possibly weather changes is one byproduct, I guess, of a dimensional incursion. And so you're talking about a basically a, a big energy discharge happens, right? Either sonic or electrical or yeah, usually sound and you know lightning and thunder usually is, and it could either just be you know crack boom or you could actually be bringing about inclement weather. 
and it could just be due to charging, you know, the dimensional aperture might cause uh, a charge in the air. You know, that ozone feel you get before a storm. And it just overloads and the storm occurs. You know, the lightning and thunder go off. Uh, you know, winds and all that. So, yeah, that was the thing that he, that Nolan usually wrote about in Shadow Cabinet, which I think you can still get that at lulu.com. Okay. So if you wanted to check that out, that would be a good way to do dimensional things for your games. I have it, and I've used it a lot. So they, they really did their research, and, I mean, they actually threw in a bit of science and stuff from M.C. Escher and all that in there. So Okay. All right, so Richard, what, what other things can, would happen would be the surrounding effects of a, of a portal opening? Well, it depends on what's on the other side. If it pours... pours pours through and you end up with a lot of toxins coming in, you know, and, uh, basically it poisons the grass, it poisons the area, it poisons things coming in. Okay. You mean if like the other dimension is just something not compatible with earthly. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to use, you know, adathematical, but yeah, not compatible. Yeah. Basically let's say like a methane atmosphere. Right. Well, there's no guarantee that the atmosphere on the other on the other side is going to be the same pressure uh, or temperature or any of those other things, and that's going to cause a big movement whenever you open up a portal. So, if, if, if what Richard's saying is that he's talking about the atmosphere itself being toxic, and so he comes pouring through and this is this billowing, you know, but it also could be, you know, air could be sucked in to their side from yes. our Earth or the other way. It could be, it literally could be blowing in like a like a huge cyclone, you know, into the area and just filling it full of just, you know, uh, unbreathable, unlivable, you know, uh, atmosphere. Uh, I was, there's also, I, I, I can say, you know, also depends on whether or not the both ends of the of the of this opening or portal are in the same, uh, on the same location, you know, technically the same location on on planets. If one is in a higher latitude, then you, yeah, you're gonna get uh, it's gonna blowing wind through it, even if there's even if there's nothing else going at the same pressure, because it's actually moving at a different speed than the other mouth is. So you'll get wind effects that way too. Right. Uh, so there's yeah, there's there's uh, height effects because you know one mm-hmm. portal could be at a lower altitude than the other and then as you, you talk about john is that the, the wind actually has mass and velocity as it moves around the earth and so if it's not completely compensated going through the portal you could have a lot of effects as a result of that as well no see if, it, if the planet's coming from has no atmosphere that is also fun too yeah well uh, yeah that's not as much big... fun actually yeah. as if it has an atmosphere <laughs> There's a very good analog story from 1964 where they exactly that happens, and they couldn't don't know what to do because they're going to lose the Earth's atmosphere. So they put a big they slap a dome over it and begin to use it for industrial purposes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Some something else about environments coming in, and we already touched upon it with air. You know, let's say you open. Let's say the portal comes from one of the elemental planes. Now, air, that would be the same thing. Usually the elemental plane of air, you're going to have where air is always rushing. There's wind everywhere. And that's going to blow through and just, you know, it'll be like a small cyclone going through. Fire and water, 
instant flooding or instant flash fires. I mean, that would be a problem. Earth wouldn't be so much. You might have a couple pebbles coming out now and again. Or it might be, you know, this, you know, just this, like, hill gets pushed through all of a sudden. But usually the elemental planes would cause a direct effect on the environment when that dimensional wall is breached. Okay, all right. We were last talking about dimensional conveyors and what they were. Yeah, they're basically they're dimensional traveling machines. You know, they when you turn them on, uh, they take you to a destination and a certain volume of space around you too. So you may be like a, a, a ten meter dome or something like that. The trouble is, you, if you're going to some place for the first time. You don't know where you're going to appear. You might appear at the in, in in the side of a skyscraper. Trouble is, you just taken away that bit of the skyscraper at that point, and the building can then can collapse around you. Uh, if it does the swap, depending on where you're going, can be disastrous for both for both ends of the swap. Um, I actually had in one game one per- I purposely sent a person. Because he knew the correspondence between this one world and another world was such that they would appear in the magma chamber of Mount Vesuvius. Oh. But it also meant that section of the magma chamber of Vesuvius would then appear on that world. Pressurized magma. As soon as the dome would pop, so would the magma. Because it's, it's under several thousand tons of pre- you know, atmospheres worth of pressure. Take that away. It goes poof, and there's a basically a lava explosion at the, at, at the at the place where it left. So yeah, it was an interesting situation for everyone all involved. Yeah. You know, everybody always assumes that whenever you open these portals, that there's going to be a a, um, the, a, a normal relation to the the gravity of the planet. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's very possible that there's not, and as a result. If you were setting off, you are opening your portal in an urban area, all of a sudden, all the buildings that are nearby, they're being affected by gravity coming at them from anywhere between, you know, zero to 45 degrees or or something like that. They're not designed to stand up to gravity being pulled on them on that angle. And all of a sudden, you have an entire area of buildings that just flop sideways over and possibly through the portal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If the if the system creates a gravity well, or you know, either either direction, yeah, that could be. Yeah, that would be disastrous in an urban area. Yeah, when it, when it and the same to, thing on your side too, because the, yeah. now their side's also going to be out of kilter with yours. Oh, actually, yes, yes, exactly. From uh, Contact, the movie. Remember how all the ships start turning toward the 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 wormhole when it's turned on. <laughs> You know, when, when the base of the wormhole got turned down, all the ships started tilting toward the wormhole outside, you know, outside because there was so much gravity being generated at the vicinity of the wormhole. And just imagine that in, in New York, in New York, happening. So along these kinds of lines, it's not uncommon for earthquakes to occur whenever you have a portal open, right? Oh yeah. Especially if the portal appears in the wrong place, you know, say inconveniently as again, it appears underground, but it appears in, in the, in the actual fault pop. And all of a sudden you well, just that's, lost that's, that's a really bad example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it's bad for the people who appear there too. You're yeah. It can use as a weapon, but it can use as a sure weapon though. Narrative is going to be part of that. Ah, uh, but it can be used as a weapon though. Uh, okay. If you're having a dimensional war, 
if you can make bits of their, if you can cause earthquakes, that's so much better. Yeah. But, but yeah, 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 earthquakes would happen because of, like you said, the gravitational effects. Right. Because, you know, if it appeared in, say, uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles, you could cause the, uh, one, with several faults to, to give and release all, all their energy. And yeah, it would just be a bad day for people far away from the portal opening at that point. Right. I mean, and, and anytime you have those kinds of pressure disjunctions too, you know, you mentioned about um, uh, lava, you know, if you, if one side of the portal was like at the bottom of the ocean and it's got like five, you know, two or three miles of water pressure pushing down on it. And on your side, it's just like your, your afternoon atmosphere, the, the amount, I, I can't even imagine at, at this point, the amount of pressure of water that would be gushing through, you know, not gushing, it would be Action. It, w- it would be exploding. That would be a tsunami force wave they're hitting. Yeah. If you want, if you want to know, check out XKCD. Someone asked that question about what happens if you open up a portal in the Mariana's Trench over Mars. And he worked it out. What kind of, it, it's horrendous. It'd take forever to drain the ocean. But, it, yeah, you're talking, you're talking you know, beyond fire hose at the other side. <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally nothing could stand in front of that. You know, now, hopefully, of course, they shut the portal down and reposition it to a better location. But, I mean, that's, that's part of the narrative of these kinds of stories where sometimes you know, they don't get it right the first time. And, mm-hmm. and bad things happen, and then they try again, and they, they work the kinks out, and then the, finally people come through. But by that time, they may have laid a whole lot of, of well, a, a lot of evidence that a portal is operating mm-hmm. in this vicinity. Yeah, and you and I'm looking at your list here, and of course we're talking all te- technological stuff. How about the magical portals where you have to draw the circle in the ground and everything out, and you need to call up a few demons to help you, and they go along with you. But there's no circle at the other side. Demons free to go off do what they want. Thank you. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh- yeah, because generally speaking, especially in the Bureau 13 world, uh, demons are not supposed to come through from hell unless they are bound to a purpose. That's the whole point of having those circles, right, Richard? Yeah, well, maybe. Well, what's the point <laughs> of having the magic circles if it isn't the bind the demons? It's to hold the demons back from whatever they want to do. Well, okay. But it it's doesn't bind them. But it's not part of binding them to a particular purpose. It's just literally a wall. It's literally a wall. Okay. Well, Are, no, Richard. Richard's the, the the there's a remember it was a, a met, uh, it was an SPI pocket game about demon summoning, and they had all the all the demon summoning rituals from Solomon, and those were definitely were bindings. They were binding them to certain purposes and certain and certain and certain things. Mm-hmm. You know, now, I'm not saying that you don't bring, you don't summon a demon to bind it to a purpose. I was just asking about like uh, those magic circles and such, whether they had anything to do with that binding process. And Richard's saying no, so uh, I'm yeah. not an expert on it. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I just thought I'd ask. Okay, yeah. so bad things can happen when you open a portal. So why do we care? Is there anything else that could happen as a result of this that somehow would we would we would care about? I mean, I know that Bureau Thirteen has the whole "we don't want anyone to believe in the supernatural," therefore we have to cover up anything like that happening. Okay, so we are going to get to that. But putting that aside, 
Is there anything else that can happen as a result of opening a portal besides those, you know, these rather um, brute force things we're talking about? Well, crow mags um, need women. Well, whatever comes through. <laughs> yeah. So what could come through? Um, well, start from the beginning. Dinosaurs. Something yeah. from another dimension. Something odd. Something different. Xenofauna. Obey the same rules. Someone's trying to escape. What from rules are you referring to, Richard? Are you talking about the laws of nature or what? Laws of nature. So you think they're bringing their own reality with them? Well, if they don't, you can kill them much more easy. If you, they bring yeah. their own reality, eventually their reality will probably dissipate. But if they, there may be whole ways to do things when something comes through that you'd have no idea. Oh, okay. like they, they impose their physical laws on a section of the earth is what, is what you're saying. Sort of. So it's not so much a portal, it's more a nexus where the natural laws of this universe and that universe are active simultaneously. Actually, or they're at odds. Yeah, actually that reminds me, there was a, uh, a, it was written in the 30s, it was an alternate history story, but it was basically what had happened, something just caused multiple worlds to swap out sections. So there'd be, a, there'd be a, you know, when Manhattan was, there's, a, there's an island now. It's a, the original island. They also had a, a Roman colony in New York show up as well. Okay. And things like that. Basically, the, basically, things swapped out. And now you have all these different dimensions, basically pieces of different alternate Earths all existing and coexisting in the same world. Right. And possibly on, other, on the worlds they came from as well. Right. Well, assuming that the um, the realities are not are are not mostly incompatible with each other. When you were talking about those uh, para uh, dimensions, uh, talking about you know like the elemental planes and things like that, there could you know, it's not just going to be necessarily, especially if it's accidental. Uh, it may, it's not necessarily going to be people coming through or intelligent beings. It could be all kinds of animal life or plant life if it moves around. I mean, all those things that are floating and, uh, and being carried about by the air in the elemental plane of air or the water or anything else that goes gets thrown through, poured through, ejected through into our world and it's going to try to find an ecological niche that it can uh, dominate in, don't you think? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, life finds a way. Yeah, you're going to be having, like, weird sea creatures or weird avian creatures or just flat-out flat out elementals. All right. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with um, uh, what happened to Lake Victoria over, over in Africa? No. The fish they seeded into it. That's right. Happened. Lake Victoria had a wonderful ecosystem, had all kinds of uh, fish life and stuff like that. One scientist said, hey, what would happen if we introduced a breeding pair of these two fish into the lake? Well, 20 years, 10 years, I don't know how long it's been. It hasn't been that long, actually. 10 years about later. About 30 years. What? About, I think about 30. Okay. There's there's almost nothing alive in that lake except these two the, the the descendants of these two fish. It's bringing in all kinds of money because these are huge, 
you know, meat bearing fish and uh, the people that are fishing them out are making a ton of money, but the entire ecology of this mammoth is lake is gone. I mean, they're trying desperately to try to keep it from collapsing. And that was oh. with just two animals. Well, remember, Bruce, when Australia was first colonized by British criminals, they brought over, I think it was pigs. Rabbits. Rabbits. They brought, okay, they brought rabbits. And it just jacked up the ecosystem there because that hey there were no rabbits in Australia and now oh and they all but they also killed off all the wolves which would have eaten the rabbits. In Hawaii, they're busy trying to keep the feral cat population down because well none of the birds there grew up around uh, predators like cats and most of the birds are ground are ground nesters. Uh, you can just picture what happens after, with, with, after that Yeah, you know, with feral cats. Okay. Right. And there's another problem in Australia now, the cane toads. Mm. They're, they're yeah. poisonous, they're breeding, and they're moving lightning fast across the continent. And they're trying to stop them. And you just you can do nothing with them. Yeah, except, except to have uh, rallies where you go out and you, you pay people money for every king told to kill. Right. So, yeah, these so, things are huge. Right. So having so having a, an, a small, an accidental incursion of, of random animals from one ecosystem to a, a world in which they've never existed mm -hmm. or they're out of their proper time existing, you know, you mentioned dinosaurs oh. too and things like that, uh, can d devastate you know, an entire yep. country as a result. Oh, oh and don't forget, uh, along the Mississippi, there's that, uh, there, I think it's, I think it's a, a fish from Asia. The, I forgot what its name was, but it looks like an alligator. It has like an alligator-looking face to it. You know, it's basically going up and down the Mississippi because someone decided they were going to try to do fish farm and decided it was a bad day and let them go. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and all that air... Uh, how about various pathogens that might be airborne floating in that atmosphere that we've never experienced before? In this, in the interdimensional travel, uh, his, uh, interdimensional history guides, uh, travel guides, uh, we had there were two super flu Earths. No one went to because basically you just die. <laughs> and the trouble is, if you went there, you couldn't come back. So you know, there's a there's a character guy when they found she was immune. And now she's sort of stuck there. She couldn't. She couldn't leave because she was a carrier. They won't let her leave. You mean? They won't. Yeah, they won't let her leave. Well, actually, they brought her. They eventually did bring her back because it turns out she was a genius in interdimensional travel. How, so how, she, how she, fortunate she, for she, her. She, yeah. She, well, yeah, this is a this is a role playing game. What do you expect is going to happen? Uh, <laughs> but now, yeah, of course, she lives in a bubble. She she can't have no human contact. So of course, one person was nice to her and gave her a pair of cats. So at least she has two cats, something she can be physical with, because she can never be physical with anyone else, because there's no way to kill this damn thing off of, uh, on her, you know. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, that, you know, but if you're talking about that, plants, kudzu, Japanese knotweed. I mean, these are things we got to deal here with in the States. The emerald ash borer, the bug that eats all in the wood and everything. Yeah. But yeah, they, they yeah, can make sinks. wonderful paper out of kudzu now, they've discovered. But well, nobody wants to do it. Oh, God. Rich. Rich. What is it that the, the, the like, it's a barnacle type thing. It's all over the Great Lakes now. It was brought in. Oh, oh. the zebra mussel. That's one. Zebra mussels. That's another thing that did not belong in the Great You, you often forgave my exuberance. I was trying to remember from 20 years ago. 
they came in on like, you know, the big freighters that come through the Great Lakes and, you know, through the locks and all that at the St. Lawrence. And they're all over the Great Lakes now. And they were blocking up the waterways from the Great Lakes for southeastern Michigan, changing the water where we had to, you know, boil our water and stuff until they cleaned them off of there and killed them off because they were just clogging everything. I think they were having a problem. Was it in at Hoover Dam? They had a, a fresh water version of that. It was busy clo- some sort of crust- some sort of either bivalves that was busy blocking all the intakes to the uh, to the turbines. You know, they had to go in there and get rid of. I mean, here here are the on the west on the west coast. We got to deal with the, with the tsunami effects uh, from from Japan. Every time something something some some uh, dock or boat floats in, they basically gets quarantined, and they go over with fine tooth comb and make sure it doesn't have any, any anything on board that is native to the area. If it does, they scrape them off and get rid of them. So yeah, it's 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 horrendous. Well, let alone the radiation. Yeah, from uh, Fukushima. Yeah, yeah, the radiation. I mean, it's basically it's confined to Fukushima, and that's it. I mean, there's it, they, uh-huh. we, no. Uh, we te- they test it here regular. There's no there is no radiation in the water. I mean, you know, it's it's it, it, it basically you got so diluted, basically, or it, it's someplace else, but it's so diluted, it's nothing to worry about. The rates of leukemia have shot up unbelievably. Is they're matching the '60s now? Well, yeah, all those nuclear nuclear bomb tests. Yeah, that would be something else that would be coming in. Uh, radiation levels from this other dimension coming through the portal. Ooh. Now, we all know in real life, when radiation hits, the mutations are not beneficial. They are fatal, or at least, you know, will, if they don't deform you, they'll, you know, alter your genetics and your progeny will be deformed. I beg your pardon, Trav. What? <laughs> I beg your pardon, pardon, being the most irradiated person around. Okay, yeah. Well, even then, yeah, you've had your, you know, yeah. I, I know I know it's a time travel story, but there was a Piper story about a guy, about a dictator who escaped into the past, and he wondered why everything was dying around him. Well, it turned out, after all all those atomic wars, uh, he was basically putting out uh, uh, a couple rads, uh, a couple, you know, we're, we're talking a couple rads himself. He was fairly radio- radio- radioactive. They actually had poisoning to bury him. him. Yeah, he was poisoning everything around him. They had the, they basically they killed him and buried and basically filled the valley he died in with concrete so he wouldn't uh, contaminate the rest of the place. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that could be possible. Yeah, it could be coming from a world where it's entirely you know a, a phys- where the physical laws are different and they're used to a higher level of radiation. So everyone who comes from that from that that world, it's going to put out radiation, uh, like you know, like an unshielded nuclear reactor. Well, there's a world, isn't there? A world on the fringe paths that has they they it has something to do with radium, where either they they naturally radiate that or they're immune to it or something. There, I remember one of the alts. I don't remember which one. I'm not going my my printout folder is across the room, but. There was a world where they that the inhabitants themselves gave off low levels of radiation, so that would be a problem. Let's say they traveled not by fringe path but by some other means, and they come to Bureau Thirteen Earth, and now you got these people, you know, giving off low levels of radiation themselves. Yeah, that that was yeah. Glad you reminded me of that. Frederick pulls the Heechee series. 
They were a race that were used to receiving a substantial amount of microwaves in order to survive. And so when they went off into space, they created these microwave generators that they would put, hang basically between their legs and they would fire up at them. But if you were going through a portal and you knew that the other side didn't have that microwave energy that you were used to, you might create these emitters that just kind of just, you know, blow out all around you all the time mm-hmm. and you might be it might be enough to fry people or at least you know make them sick you know just by being near you and you wouldn't realize that they can't take that kind of energy yeah depending upon how good a scientist they were to think about well if if there's no ambient microwave energy these creatures probably aren't designed to take take microwave energy but, yeah you, you know you could very innocently be walking around as as you mentioned john with that guy that was putting out radioactivity but this could be like microwaves or something else that's part mm-hmm. of their natural environment that they're reproducing for their own good health that's actually inimicable to the people that are around them on our earth yeah and and don't forget the tried and true this is a TV trope, if there was one, alternate versions of people coming over here to basically take over by kidnapping or killing their duplicates. Well, now we're talking mm-hmm. about why they come over. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know. All right. So you come over because you want to replace your duplicate. Your duplicate has a better life, or your life just sucks so bad that any other uh, your duplicate's got to be living a better life. The uh, webcomic General Protection Fault, uh, one of the main characters has a duplicate on a world, who, basically the evil Nick, who was the world dictator. And, uh, and basically he's, he was trying to come to our world so he can supplant the good Nick with himself and basically rule this world with an iron fist. Yeah. <laughs> now, as we found out in uh, Mirror Mirror, sometimes it isn't that easy to replace your duplicate. Mm-hmm. Especially if, if you're the if you're the uh, the warrior kind, because I think uh, was it think I think uh, Spock said he spawned their duplicates fairly fast. Yeah, because they <laughs> they they were not civilized, and therefore <laughs> they came into a civilized culture and were mm-hmm. were unable to act appropriately. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very long before everyone realized that something was terribly wrong, and they needed to be restrained for their own good. And then it was just a short time after that when you realized, no, they're not our our Kirk, they're not our, our hero. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> no. It was easier for the crew from, from our from our from our universe to uh, play at being bad guys. Yeah, embrace the inner it, barbarian. Yeah, of course it did have it did in, in, in fact it's I think the trope namer. You know, you know he you find your evil duplicate because he has a beard. Actually, he has a Van Dyke. <laughs> Liberty Meadows uh-huh. did that too, and he has to stroke it right. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So they may be coming over to replace their duplicates. Okay, fine. But also, you know, the almost obvious is that they're they're this portal is being created as a beachhead. They, I mean, mm-hmm. they want to come over. They want to either uh, you know, dominate because they have superior something or other, or they want. You know, resources or technology that we have, or you know, sometimes they just you know want some place to go because it's just so boring on the other side. What was it? I, and I mispronounced it because I uh, is it Liebensraum? I have no idea, John. Liebensraum. They've used up their world. It's time to use up ours. 
when you come from an alternate Earth where everything's in the same place, you know where all the good stuff is. Oh, yeah. That's a major trope in Fringeworthy that almost <laughs> nobody ever uses in my campaign. Yeah. Crow mags need women. It's a place where you can act unbound by the laws of your home dimension. The id vacation. I mean, you go through, you can shoot people, you can rape their women, you can do drugs. Well, do drugs that you actually have that effect on yourself. But I mean, the point is, is that where you're coming from, they don't know you're doing that. You're doing it out of sight of your home dimension, and you can get away with pretty much anything if they don't know how you're, where you're going to, and where you're coming, leaving back to. And that's always been a big problem in a lot of the games where people suddenly change their characters. You know, they're they're good people when they come through, but when they find out, there's really nothing to stop them from expressing their passions, good or ill. As Q said, there's plenty to fulfill any appetite here in the universe. <laughs> Actually, because also the other reason why you would, people would be encouraged here: criminals. We're we're basically a a a, a colony, a, basically a um, botany bay, a dumping ground. Yeah, the Xanti Misfits is a great example from the past. This yeah. is, they're, dumping, they're dumping here and hoping that we'll take care of them because they don't want to deal with them. And not just criminals. <laughs> I mean, they're toxic waste. We are their Yucca Mountain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or they're coming here to, you know, not take water because that's stupid to take water. That really is stupid to take water. They take things that don't live in their world anymore. Like, hey, all the sequoias are dead, so they're coming here and they're basically using their dimensional tra- machines to move all our sequoias to their world because they're, theirs are all gone. There goes the cathedral in your woods. A.E. Van Vo, in one of his novels, basically the guy went through a door and now he finds himself, finds himself in this hallway. Goes infinitely long and there's all these doors. You open the door up, step through, you're in another, you're in another dimension. The story is one of these weird ones, but he actually built it himself. He didn't know it because he had to go into the future to go back in the past. It's A.E. Van Vogt. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he basically is, you know, the Mobius strip is part of his plot plan in almost every novel and story mm-hmm. he ever writes. So, they, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why this could happen. And so now, you know, enter the Bureau. And the Bureau mm-hmm. is, is, is charged with maintaining the security and stability of the United States as well mm-hmm. as you know protecting its people from all kinds of bad things that might happen as well as keeping them from the knowledge of the supernatural because that's considered to be information that man was at least the American people men were not meant to know so that's all part of their charge so how do they know how okay we'll get back to the original reason why we're having this podcast how do they know that there's been an interdimensional rift or, or, or a portal or whatever it is? How, how do they detect traffic? Oh, this. I'm sure that the Bureau has a department or not, a, not, not a department, but division. a group of, oh, a division of diviners, both magic and psionic. Soothsayers. Soothsayers, precogs divination specializing wizards just people who can predict the future and go okay there's going to be this force or this entity or this being coming through at this time okay mobilize a team have them there so we can meet them to mitigate any damage yeah lordy i've done i've done the entrails six times and they keep saying something's going to happen in newark new jersey 
Okay, yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> always something bad always. happening in New York, New Jersey. <laughs> a portal opens and actually things happen. And you, you flick on that. I mean, yeah, YouTube is good for something. <laughs> so you you suggest that uh, they're monitoring the uploads to YouTube for mm. anybody who might have snapped a small video of something and said, hey, I got to share this with the world. Yep. Oh, Twitter feed. They're, they monitor all the Twitter feeds. Oh, no, you know that they monitor all sorts of both news media and social media. When we did, when Bureau 13 was done, you know, Facebook and Twitter were not as huge as they are in the past, you know, six, seven years since B13, D20 come out. And yeah, we already put in there that news media is monitored all the time, but now social media, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, Snapchat, all this stuff would be monitored incessantly because that the blogosphere is the new way of transmitting information. And the Bureau, you know, with their higher-than-normal tech, they'd be, you know, fine-tooth combing that constantly. Anything that pops up that would mark the parameters of, okay, this isn't normal, they'd run a team out there instantly. Right. I mean, we now live in an age of such connectivity that nobody, there's nobody out there anymore who doesn't have a camera on them at, uh, at any time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the whole thing about why doesn't anybody ever take a picture of it when they're out there in the swamp, you know, drinking their moonshine? Well, I mean, those guys actually do have cameras on them. They're, they all have cell phones. Yeah. Of course, they're always fuzzy and out of focus, but, you know, that's that doesn't always... matter. That's, that's helpful to the Bureau when they're fuzzy and out of focus. <laughs> you know that. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, the point is, is that they're collecting that information and the Bureau can use it. Uh, before you you were uh, lying on week old sometimes accounts by people out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, the fact that you can upload things directly to face. Heck, I got my cell phone here. It's two and a half years old. I got it in my hand, and I can still upload things instantly to Facebook, Twitter. I can upload to about five or six different sources. Yeah, Dropbox, Facebook. SkyDrive, you know, Picasso. I can put any picture I want up on like six or seven different sources and it can reach a multitude of people. And I can do it anytime, day or night, as long as the phone is charged. You have 300 million people that can do that. That's a lot of information that can be spread and disseminated instantly. Yeah, I imagine there's at least a couple of Reddit threads running that the bureau itself started just so it can collect this sort of thing. So people would go, oh, look, a place I can put some weird stuff. Uh, you know, and there's probably uh, uh, other things the bureau has itself started on purpose so that people report stuff like this, not realizing that they're, re- you know, the bu- it's the bureau who created these various threads and places, you know. I wouldn't, ble- I, I wouldn't doubt that there's, there's an app report, there's an app for your phone to, re- to report, you know, Zo- you know, cryptozoological creatures. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, it could yeah. be. <laughs> now, a lot of these things happen out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to make a portal, you know, intentionally, you're probably not going to put it right inside of a city, especially if it has a lot of energy discharge. Okay. Yep. And, you know, and even if it's not visible, it's still producing, you know, it's still probably producing a lot of energy and other wavelengths. So, 
from this from the ground looking at you know in the direction of a portal it might be masked by trees or buildings or hills and things like that but that energy is not being masked vertically nope. and there are satellites out there that could see it and we know for certain because it's part of our game that there is a moon base that is observing the earth and they could do, and I'm sure they're doing constant spectrological analysis of the Earth to see if strange energies of various kinds would suddenly appear, and that would be a real big, you know, call to arms to say, "Hey, we got to send a team there immediately," even if they don't get the heads up from some psychic or uh, precog. Yeah. Now, there's some things that uh, some methods, such as using these dimensional traveling devices they may actually cause gravity waves. Now, the reason I bring this up because there's a lot of people on Earth right now looking for gravity waves. So a lot of non-Bureau people would spot one of these things showing up because it would just pop and be like dropping a rock in a pond. So you have all these different gravity, gravity wave detectors around the, around the world picking up something happening on the Earth and not quite sure what it is. What it is. So there's a potential there for, as, as, we always like, as we always like doing in the game, for non-bureau interference with the with the event, researchers show up and say, "What's going on here? Why was this big gravity wave right here in the middle of Nebraska?" In Bureau Thirteen, the Earth itself is, in many ways, alive. You know, with supernatural energy. I mean, we we talked about ley lines, and they crisscross all over the place. And if you drop an interdimensional portal somewhere on the Earth, it's probably going to disrupt the nearby ley lines. And mm-hmm. that's going to be the, like hitting a spider web. And people and animals that are sensitive to this energy are going to pick up on it. So, you know, you've got, you know, the, the white witch of New England suddenly sitting up in bed and going, something terrible has just happened. And the white witch of Fremont does the exact same thing. Right. And, and maybe, gives her gives her a call and says, Gladys, what's going on? Maybe they can triangulate. <laughs> yeah. Calling somebody else. Maybe Swamp Chuck can help him out. He's down in Louisiana, right? Yeah. Yep. The disruption of, of the ley lines. And, of course, animals, most animals you know, in Bureau 13, don't, especially normal animals, don't like the supernatural very much. So mm. anytime something like this would happen, it would probably cause a exodus of, the, of animals from that area, which could be tracked if you start seeing like a lot of animals coming out of the woods and being picked up by your local animal control agencies in an ever-widening circle, well, then you could use that to help triangulate where the event occurred. Darndest thing I ever saw. First I ever saw a stampede of gophers. <clears throat> and, of course, if you actually go into the area and you actually start finding people bringing in animals that are dying for no apparent reason as a result of radiation or they're suddenly they've got multiple heads because they've been merged with their other selves from another dimension. You're going to have physical evidence that, you know, that as you said, John's going to show and Trav, it's going to show up on Pinterest. (laughs) Yeah. Now, now of course, animal mutilations, the standard animal mutilations, of course we know is done by the grays. So you can ignore those. But other things, yeah, you want to take a look at. <laughs> oh, what was that wonderful, wonderful uh, TV show with the two alternate realities that were coming together, crashing together? And, oh, was uh, that the, the Tomorrow People? 
Was that the no, no, no. People? Uh, the the main character Walter uh, Walter Nut. Oh, you're oh, talking Fringe. about Fringe. Fringe, yes, yes. Oh yeah, because there they definitely were picking up. Uh, that one I would say would be Gravity Waves. They're picking up the Gravity Waves caused by their incursions across across the uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the dimensional barriers. <laughs> You know, basically, you're going to cause gravity waves when you travel like that. Uh, oh yeah, and it's and the that was the, I I love that show. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to Worldcon. I'm I'm putting together a Watcher costume. <laughs> All right, I, I think you got the head for it. I'm figuring the only, the only my, my purpose then is when I'm wearing it. The day I'm wearing it is to photobomb as many pictures as I can. <laughs> Which makes sense too. That would be what they do. Yeah. All right. Now, the watcher, yeah. The eyes of the watcher with the eyes ripped out. <laughs> uh, I would say uh, all any weather satellites in the past twenty years have been launched up to geosynchronous. Got a little extra bit for the bureau on board them just to help look for this stuff because they're always watching the Earth. And hey, why not? You know, someone else is doing all the hard work putting it up there. We just put some extra packages on it so we can we can look for things that they don't normally look for. Right, and and, and remember moon, uh, the moon base. Okay, they can mm-hmm. they can go from the moon base and go and add that stuff after it gets up in orbit. Yeah, it's not also, like they got cameras looking on the actual things once the shuttle takes off. Yeah, that's something to bring up because not all not all incursions are going to take place on the Earth. So the safest place, if you if you got the tech, safest place to actually do the incursion is in space. So the moon base is busy watching out for those guys, you know, porting in, in in their spaceships and then then hanging on down to do their business on the Earth. Right. So, but but in like one of my adventure uh, again, one of the adventures that were produced by Outpost Games, they had a portal that got created, and unfortunately, uh, it was still sitting up at the same altitude. And it happened to be occasionally intersecting with one of the uh, uh, airplane corridors out of you know, LaGuardia. And uh, they were, planes were losing parts of their wings and fuselage as they intersected with it. In, uh, on a, so it, the, the thing starts, the reason the Bureau is first clued into it is the fact that the plane goes down with the parts missing. Uh, and they're real good about finding parts of planes that have gone down. And they just couldn't explain why there was this big big chunk that was missing there was another uh thing about dimensional incursions now in my work on bureau 13 d20 i actually use and and i think we did we did put it in you know into the ogl and everything second world source book on the site which has since been taken down they had this one adventure hook called uh, highway 31 now you would drive down this stretch of highway and it'd be one or two miles and crossing the highway at different at different distances, like you might have something like a dimensional corridor a hundred feet in, then another fifty feet, there's another one, then another seventy-five feet and another twenty. And if you hit if you're driving through that particular corridor at the right speed, you will end up with an extra something in your car by the time you leave. <laughs> so you could be driving 43 miles an hour and hit the fifth one at 11 o'clock at night, and you could end up either something in your car or somewhere, or you end up going somewhere else. And it was just these 
these perpendicular pathways that just ran across this highway out in the middle of the desert and taxi cabs and campers and be saying, you know, they'd be having all these weird stories. And it was, and sadly, I, I, I even looked on the internet archive, the site wasn't saved, but it was made by the guy who put out the second world source book, uh, Stephen Palmer Patterson. And I just remembered when you guys were talking about that, I, re- I remembered that particular adventure book. Highway 31 was it? What was the name? I believe it was called Highway 31. And it was just a stretch of highway out in the middle of nowhere that had these dimensional pathways that ran across it. And if you drove past a certain one at the right time, at the right exact speed, things from other dimensions would appear or you would end up in them. Sounds very Rogers Lasney roadmark. This is Bruce Sheffer saying... There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.